Welcome to the Please Bear With Me podcast. As you can tell, Scotty Swingler is not here. As he mentioned last week, my name is Michael Bartleman. I will be your guest host for this week. Uh, we are moving towards a matchup on Saturday between the Houston Cougars and the Baylor Bears after last week's game with La Tech was canceled due to a COVID outbreak amongst the Louisiana Tech football team. Mac Rhodes was able to pull together a last-minute matchup against Houston. This will be the first matchup between Baylor and Houston since they played in the old Southwest Conference days. Very exciting. Obviously, Baylor has some connections to Houston with having hired Art Riles from there. Dave Aranda actually worked there at one point in time as well. So, let's talk about what we expect to see on Saturday. I'm going to call out a few things from the depth chart, and I'm going to call a few things out about Houston. Then I'm going to give a score prediction, and then we'll get into our interview this week, which I think is going to be really exciting. First thing that I noticed from the depth chart, I'm sure a lot of people noticed this, was Xavier Newman is not going to play on Saturday. He has been suspended because of a violation of team rules, uh, not due to COVID complications. So he will be back against Kansas. The reason why I wanted to call him out particularly is because the center is kind of the quarterback of the offensive line. He's the man who calls out a lot of those cover, a lot of those protection schemes. His role is extremely important, as well as his chemistry with the quarterback. My fear is that it, since he is not playing, that we could have some hiccups along the offensive line, even more so than we might expect. Don't know necessarily what form that will take. The good news is, is that because we have had kind of two weeks where we've been preparing without him playing, that um, Jason Moore's had the opportunity to get some snaps in with Charlie Brewer. So that's the first thing that I wanted to call it from the depth chart. The second thing is, is I'm going to read you off the classes of the offensive line starters. Connor Galvin, who's our left tackle, is a junior. Khalil Keith is a junior. Jason Moore is a junior. Blake Bettier is a senior. Jake Burton, the transfer from UCLA, is a senior. We have had, frankly, an atrocious offensive line for three years, despite the fact that we went 11-1 and in the regular season last year. And we've been told we need to, ha- we need to have patience, take time, because it does take time to build an offensive line. When you have five upperclassmen starting, we do not get the excuse of being young anymore. It is time for this offensive line to really take a step forward and prove that they can dominate a game. This game on Saturday is an opportunity because Houston's defensive line is not necessarily great to really show what this offensive line can do. I can only think of one game in Big 12 play where they really impose their will on the other team outside of Kansas, and that was Oklahoma State. I would hope to see another step in that direction on Saturday because we have the experience and the size and strength to do it. And so that is what I'm seeing from the offensive line. The third thing I want to do is call out something on the defensive side of the ball. It's that Ashton Logan is going to be starting at the jack position. Um, Ashton Logan is a converted safety to linebacker, uh, and he is getting the start over William Bradley King. William Bradley King is somebody you might notice because William Bradley King was an all-conference player at Arkansas State last year in the Sun Belt. We just saw Arkansas State beat up on Kansas State last week, and obviously it's a pretty good football team. William Bradley King was exceptional as a pass rusher last year. Now, I have a lot of questions on why Ashton Logan is getting the start over him because he's clearly an extremely talented player. We're going to talk about that a little bit more when we get to our interview today. Um, But suffice it to say that for a lot of teams, the jack linebacker position is your pass rusher. And I have questions then. Maybe I didn't understand Aranda's scheme quite as well. Um, But that's just a call out there. So a few things about Houston, and then I'll get into my prediction. Houston is a team that basically attempted to tank last year, for lack of a better word, even though you don't get draft picks in college football. They redshirted upwards of 30 guys on that team. They took in a bunch of transfers. This team is almost an entirely different team than what Dana Holgerson trotted out last year. And that means that I'm not really sure what to think about this team, particularly on the offensive side of the ball. 
The second thing is, is that the offense is good at Houston, and it can get better. And we all know that Dana can coach an offense. There's no doubt about that. His West Virginia offenses were excellent. His Oklahoma State offenses were excellent. He is an offensive football coach. That's why Houston hired him. Third, their defense is not very good. Um, the, they are good at getting some tackles in the backfield, and that's about it. That's according to Bill Connolly's advanced stats. They are, they are not a great defensive football team. Now, mind you, again, they redshirted so many people, so we could see an almost entirely different looking group out there, particularly from a depth perception perspective. So those are the three things that I saw about Houston, right? Who knows what we're going to get out of this game? We're looking at a situation where Baylor has had an offseason that has looked entirely different. We didn't get a spring practice. We had a fall practice, thankfully. We had conditioning over the summer, but we have an entirely new staff looking at new schemes on the offensive and defensive sides of the ball. And we're looking at a staff that's been trying to install concepts over Zoom to 18 to 22-year-olds. Now, I'm 27. I'm not sure I can, I can maintain the attention necessary to be able to learn a defensive football scheme over video calls. So that's a concern for me. Um, mental reps are good, but... You can't beat physical reps. The one thing that Dana's team has on us is they got to spend a year in his system last year. They have an idea of what they are supposed to do. We don't have that ability. And so if you were to tell me that I had to bet this game, I would avoid betting it if all possible. And Vegas has the line moving on this one pretty hard and expecting it to be pretty close. I think we opened at minus 11 and moved pretty quick to about minus 4. So Vegas doesn't think this thinks this game's going to be awfully close. And I got to tell you, I think it's going to be pretty close the entire game too. But I do think that Baylor has more talent than Houston. And I think if the offensive line, like I said, can control the line of scrimmage, I think we can beat up on this team and really wear them out. And if we can wear them out, our talent can truly take over. And I have us winning this game 35-24. to 24. So that's my prediction for this week. Baylor beats the Cougs 35-24. to 24. Now, I have Travis Roeder, who's about to join the podcast, and we're going to switch over to his interview. Uh, it's a really great um, great time talking with him. He's a really smart dude. I hope you enjoyed as well. All right, everybody, we've got Travis Roeder on Please Bear With Me this week. He is a Baylor grad from 2015. You probably know him from Twitter or Our Daily Bears. He does a lot of great X's and O's breakdown of the Bears every week and every season. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about what we expect to see from the Dave Aranda coached Bears, as well as a little bit about University of Houston and what we should expect to see from the game this week. Travis, my, my first question um, is obviously a lot about defense, knowing that Dave Aranda is a defensive mind. I know that a lot of people talk about Dave Aranda being kind of an attacker defensively. In a league that really kind of can punish people for that, we saw that with Todd Orlando. How do you expect him to adjust his defense based on that? Well, I don't know if you're necessarily going to see him adjust his scheme too much. And Sorry, first I guess I should say thank you for having me on, Michael. Very happy to be here. Um, but, yeah, I don't think if you should really expect him to adjust his scheme too much. Um, and obviously, you're going to see some difference, A, because he's dealing with different personnel here and the Big 12 is a different league. So, I mean, you're not, it's not literally going to be exactly what he did at Wisconsin or exactly what he did at LSU or anything like that. Uh, but I don't think uh, the fundamental difference of what Aranda is, which is he's going to single gap with his defensive lineman, which means that he's, he's not going to have any of them playing hesitantly. He's going to basically say, you're only responsible for this one area, and I want you to attack that one area. And that's actually what Baylor did under Matt Rule the past few years as well. Uh, a lot of people have a misconception of that when you run a three-down front that your uh, defensive linemen are kind of uh, more hesitant in nature, and, or you, know, you hear, the frame, uh, hear the phrase two-gapping a lot, right? Uh, where guys will kind of just engage with the offensive linemen and then they have to, um, you know, kind of read the play before they attack. But so 
uh, that is not what Aranda is going to be doing with his three down linemen. That's not what Rule did. Uh, I expect kind of the basic nature of, uh, sorry, if I can back up just a little bit, if there's really one consistent thing that I found from looking at Aranda over at all of his stops from Wisconsin to Utah State, even back to his stays at Hawaii and LSU, he's dealing with lots of different personnel, but he always has these versatile linebackers, and he's always using those linebackers to try and get after the quarterback. That doesn't mean sending seven. Actually, one of the things that Aranda really originated, along with the current defensive coordinator, Ron Roberts, is these ideas of creeper pressures. Um, and I don't want to get too far down in the weeds too soon, uh, but basically one of the things they've really done is they've kind of figured out how to be aggressive while simultaneously playing safe at the same time. And so an example of that is a lot of teams use something what's called like a fire zone blitz, which is where you're playing zone behind a, a blitz, but you're still blitzing more than four guys. And what Aranda and them done is said, okay, if we have a bunch of versatile linebackers, we don't actually have to send more than four guys. What we can do is just feign like we're going to send five or six, but only send four of them. But the offense is thinking that we're going to send five or six, and so they kind of have to play like we're spending five or six, if, if that all makes sense. Sorry for the long-winded mm -hmm. answer. No, that makes a ton of sense. Um, and that, that kind of feels like something that would work. So speaking about those versatile linebackers, one of the things that popped out to me on the depth chart this week and last week was Ashton Logan sliding in instead of William Bradley King. Right. I think we kind of all expected because of his success at a different conference that William Bradley King would be a, almost an automatic starter. And Ashton Logan being a converted safety kind of stood out to me, mm -hmm. especially playing that jack role. So right. tell me about kind of what you see there. Well, I th and I think this is actually a great segue from what you just talked about with the, with the aggressive defenses. And so I think one of the misconceptions, and I certainly had it when I first started studying LSU as well uh, for Dave Aranda's tape, is that the jack linebacker in most defenses tends to essentially be a hybrid defensive end who is probably rushing the passer on 90% of downs, but essentially if you're 250 pounds or so, you can occasionally drop back and play coverage, right? That's just not the way it is with Aranda. Uh, if you look at a lot of kind of standard down stuff from LSU last year, Clavon Chason was their big time pass rusher, but he was probably... I don't have the exact stats, but I would say offhand, he was probably rushing versus dropping back in coverage maybe 60 to 40% of the time. So rushing 60% of the time, dropping back 40%. And so basically this kind of creates a constraint of like, if you can't play coverage well, then that's not something that you can just cover up, right? Uh, and so a lot of people, I think, uh, me included early on, uh, just thought, you know, Jack Linebacker, this is a pass rusher, he's just a little bit lighter defensive end. And that's... Like, as I just explained, that's not really what the position is. And so when you look at what William Bradley King's strengths are, he's a really good straight line athlete and he's a really good pass rusher. But at Arkansas State, he was never really asked to drop back into coverage. And so my thinking on this is, is that he has the athleticism to drop back. I don't think he'll ever be as laterally explosive or as quick or as able in coverage as somebody like Ashton Logan is, who was a high school safety and still has a lot of those kind of lateral abilities. But I think early on in this year, uh, it's more likely that you see William Bradley King, who didn't get a spring ball with Baylor, need a little bit of time to learn how to uh, play in those coverages. Because like I said, if, if you can't cover, it's just really a position that's not for you. Uh, because, and again, just to kind of tie back to the previous answer about the versatile linebackers, the whole point of Dave Aranda's defenses is if he has four linebackers out there, you know, maybe two of them are going to be rushing on each play and two of them are going to be you know, robbing into these zone coverages. And if you have William Bradley King out there who can never rob back in that coverage, that essentially just gives you 25% less versatility that you can have on each play, if that makes sense. So I think early on what you're going to see is maybe some utilization of both Logan and William Bradley King at the same time. He essentially played defensive end at Arkansas State. I wouldn't be surprised to, essentially, uh, to see him playing that wide side of the field defensive end early on here. But I think as the season goes along, you might see him getting more snaps at Jack uh, because he gets better at coverage. But if not, like I said, you can still just utilize him as a true defensive end, and I wouldn't be surprised to see both of them on the field at the same time a lot this year. Got it. That makes a ton of sense. I um, So you talked a little bit about defensive ends. Talking about our defensive line, you talked about it being a one-gap scheme, mm -hmm. similar to what we did a, a year ago, which I, I guess would help, uh, would help these guys kind of take on a new defense. 
Um, who do you expect, after having such a kind of a dominant defensive line a year ago, who do you see kind of popping up this season, or who are you thinking is going to pop up? Well, it's, it, you know, it is a Baylor podcast, and so you always want to have super positive things, but I will say that I think if there is one position group on this team, offense, defense, special teams, anything, that is the weakest group of the Baylor team, it is the defensive line. And it's not because there's not talent there. But defensive line is very similar to the offensive line that it kind of doesn't really matter how talented you are. You really don't want to be playing a lot of true freshmen, true sophomores, because it's, it's just a position where you need years to mature. Uh, there's a lot of kind of instincts that are involved. Um, and so that doesn't mean, obviously, that there's not going to be any good players there this year. Um, but it is another reason why I would like to see Baylor utilizing more of uh, what Aranda calls peso, which is a two, def two defensive line look. Uh, essentially with another, you just insert another outside linebacker where you would have another defensive end. Uh, but of the defensive ends this year, or not defensive ends, but just all defensive linemen, um, I think it's kind of neat to, to bring it back to the depth chart talk a little bit and to see that Josh Landry, uh, who was a signee a couple years ago and didn't really have a spot under a rule, was starting over Chidi Aguanaya at nose tackle. And I think that really kind of shows you uh, what Aranda's after here. He doesn't want necessarily just... At LSU, they had these kind of just war daddies who were all 6'4", 310, 6'5", 330. At Baylor, he's really looking, and if you look at the guys that are recruiting on the defensive line too, he, he, he's not as concerned about you being as big. He just wants you to be super explosive off the line. And so I think the, the obvious answer is kind of, you know, the starters this year are, you know, TJ Franklin's going to be playing that field end, Gabe Hall's going to be playing that boundary end, uh, Josh Delangeri or Chidi's going to be playing those. I think all of them have their upside all of them have their downside uh this year i don't think you're going to see any of them become a dominant player as a true sophomore or as a, a third year player like um landry and chidi still needs to see whether he can take another step at nose um so i don't really foresee any of them becoming dominant players i think it'll be kind of an up and down year for the defensive line uh as kind of unfortunate as that is to say but usually most teams aren't loaded at every position every year and it just seems like this year for defensive line if they can just get some average play that would go a long way for the Baylor defense yeah and it seems like the Baylor defense is really going to predicate itself on its linebacker play which yeah. Aranda also seems to yeah um so to move over to the secondary um we have we've gotten really used to well it seems like we got really used to last year having that three safety look mm -hmm. Um, which was obviously extremely successful. This year it seems like we're going back to kind of a standard two-safety, two-corner look. Mm -hmm. um, these guys haven't necessarily, particularly the safety position, gotten uh, a ton of starts. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of Baylor fans are still a little concerned about the safety position considering some of the, pre some of the beginning years under rule. Mm -hmm. um, what do you expect to see out of our secondary this year um, with Aranda scheme. Well, first of all, I'd say I'm more concerned about the corners than I am the safeties. Um, you know, it's not necessarily a, a, a huge discrepancy, um, but it's more because of Aranda's scheme. Uh, Aranda likes to do something which is called being gapped out against RPOs. And what that, what that means essentially is that you have every single gap accounted for before the ball is snapped, uh, which kind of sounds obvious, and you would think that a lot of defensive coordinators a lot of defensive coordinators like to do that, but in reality, a lot of them aren't gapped out, and what they say is, okay, if it ends up being a run, we're gonna be sending a guy, and eventually we'll get enough guys to the ball that even though we didn't have all the gaps accounted for, we can kind of rally and make the play. Uh, but to be gapped out, which means you're kind of committing another defender to the run, means that you have one less defender to play in the secondary and play in coverage. Um, and kind of if you move one piece here and then you move another piece there, et cetera, et cetera, what ends up happening a lot in Aranda's coverages is that his cornerbacks are kind of left on an island. And uh, that's really easy to do at LSU when you have Christian Fulton and uh, the, the best true freshman in college football last year, Derek Stingley, who was a true freshman at LSU, corner who just owned the Clemson wide receivers in the national championship game. It was just incredible. Uh, it's just kind of another thing to be determined to see, you know, can Kalen Barnes do it? Uh, I don't think Raleigh Tejada can really press. Uh, I think, I mean, I think he can, but uh, I don't know how effectively a 5'9 corner is going to be able to pr press a 6'3 receiver, for example. And so I'm more concerned where Aranda calls a coverage that says, hey, Kalen, we're going to leave you alone in the boundary against Tylen Wallace. I mean, go have fun. That doesn't mean that Kalen can't win 50% of the time, but the problem is in the Big 12, if somebody's throwing a vertical route, uh, three straight downs they only need to win on one of those <laughs> and so uh, 
I'm really curious to see how that goes early in the season. I think you're going to see a lot of Mark Milton at cornerback. He's uh, one of those kind of super raw mega athlete rule recruits who hasn't really played much, but he's 6'1 and can run like the wind. He runs for the 100 meters on the Baylor track team. And then I know I spent most of the time talking about the corners, but just quickly about the safeties. Uh, JT Woods is a super athlete. Christian Morgan's a super athlete. As you said, they haven't started a bunch, uh, but they have played quite a bit to where I think we know sort of what their strengths are. Uh, Christian Morgan's not a guy you want to solo up against an inside receiver in the Big 12. He can do it sparingly, but he's not a guy that every single down you want to say, hey, go cover whoever's OU's really good water bug slot receiver is this year. Uh, you really want him moving downhill, kind of getting in the box, using his uh, vertical explosion, uh, a straight line explosion to blow plays up. And JT Woods is the guy that you want playing over the top. You don't necessarily want in the box all the time, but he can play man coverage. He has really good range laterally, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but the problem for safeties, of course, is that the safeties are kind of the ones that have the most on their plate on every play. They're not just single gapping. They're saying, okay, am I reading run? Am I reading pass? If I'm reading this sort of pass, I need to be over here. If I'm reading this sort of pass, I need to be over here. I also could need to go up against the run, et cetera. And so um, the Baylor safeties have a lot on their plate. The corners have a lot on their plate. Uh, the secondary is extremely talented, but I think that is something early on in the year that we're going to want to see, okay, how simplified is Aranda making this? Is, is he putting too much on their plate? Because if he puts too much on their plate, it could really create for some, uh, some big play potential for opposing offenses. Yeah, I actually had a question about that. You talk about putting too much on people's plate. Um, and I'm again going to talk back to Rule just because it's who our most recent head coach was. One of the things that Rule kind of kept saying throughout the first two years was it takes two full years and by year three players finally get it right they get what phil snow is trying to do is is the time to get it for lack of a better word with aranda's scheme a similar are are we going to see similar growing pains or do you think that it's a much simpler scheme so not at all um as far as the simpler uh or excuse me as far as the growing pains uh, Rule and Snow, I had a friend describe Snow to me as the consummate kind of PhD type teacher saying, look, I'm going to give you a thousand page playbook. I will be in my office whenever you want to come talk to me about it. I will sit there and help you with it all you want, but you have to learn it. Like, you know, and if you want to play, you got to learn it. Aranda is very different. Um, if you kind of hear what people say when they go to his coaching clinics and you read what they say, uh, he is all about kind of doing complex stuff, but putting as little on each individual's plate as possible. And not only that, but instead of, you know, I think there's kind of the, uh, the infamous examples of the NFL head coaches and, or the offensive coordinators, and you'll hear them call out a play and it's like 17 words long. Right. And, and, uh, what Aranda has done is he's created concepts for his defensive players that really only relate to one word. And so maybe on, for one play call, a player might have two different things they're responsible for, but if they have to make a check or something like that, then they just have to say that word and they really kind of can hone in on their responsibility. It's kind of almost analogous to TCU's defenses, not as far as scheme goes, but one of the things that Gary Patterson did that was so groundbreaking was he said, look, I can actually get much more complex results by having much simpler inputs. And so what he did is he took his defensive linemen and his, and his inside linebackers, and he made them into one group. And then he made his secondary on, one, on the other side of the field another group. And then finally, the secondary on the other side of the field another group. So he has three groups. And he can make different calls to all three of them, and they can each be doing their own thing. And so if you kind of think about the permutations there, there's lots of different permutations, but to the player, they only have to know their job, if that makes sense. They don't have to understand how the entire thing works. And so Phil Snow, Matt Rule, they wanted you to understand how the entire thing works, because you know what, that probably does have a higher ceiling. If you understand how everything works, then you can kind of reach your, your ultimate potential for understanding how every play works. Aranda, I think, has a much kind of um, more honed in focus and he just wants his linebacker to know, okay, you have one of two responsibilities on this play. Read it and go. And so I don't think you're going to see nearly as many issues early on in the year. Not that you won't see any issues. It's still a first year. Uh, but it's, it's not going to be scorched earth 27 rule by any means. Got it. That makes a ton of sense. And I've read that about Gary Patterson's defense, and I always thought it was really interesting. Yeah. Um, 
I'm going to shift over to the offensive side of the ball really quick and talk because I think a lot of Baylor fans have a have a great desire to talk about that because I think there's still a lot of heart for having an explosive, exciting offense, um, as with every college football fan. Um, and honestly, I can't say how happy I am about Larry Fedora as offensive coordinator. And do I have a right to be excited about, as some as someone who wants to see us be on the front foot again offensively? Is this something I should be excited about? I think Fedora kind of does the sort of basic 80% of college football offenses now about as good as you can do it. Um, he's not going to be necessarily groundbreaking. He's not going to come out in some new formation that you've probably never seen before. He's probably not going to be on, like, you know, there are certain Twitter accounts that are constantly like, oh, my gosh, look at what this coach did. Like, I've never seen this before. Uh, not to say that he won't ever do anything like that, but Fedora's been around a while. He's honed his offense. And I think it's sort of almost a perfect fit for exactly what Baylor wants to do, especially with the personnel they had this year, because the offense is actually very similar to what Baylor was doing last year. Um, but the difference is, well, there are a multitude of differences, but it, the, the run game is very similar. Um, I think the difference is more on emphasis in the sense that uh, Rule wanted to use that run game to eventually set up the play-action deep passing game. Whereas I would say Fedora has a much more kind of integrative offense in the sense of he's one of those coordinators where you look at one play and you can see how that play is setting up three different plays that he can use within the same series, if that makes sense. So he's doing the zone read, but you can see the wide receiver motioning by and you think, okay, on the next time they run that play, they might hand the ball off to the wide receiver on the sweep the next time. And then the next time they might throw to the bubble screen that's on the other side of the field. And it's all kind of part of the same play. He utilizes a lot of those kind of package plays where there's, uh, you know, three or four options on it, and it just kind of depends on what the defense looks like. I don't think it's going to be as explosive as an offense as last year because people, I think a lot of Baylor fans forget that even though the offense really sputtered, it was actually an extremely explosive offense because in between Charlie getting destroyed every other play, he was hitting Denzel Mims down the field or Tyquan Horton down the field. Uh, but I think what you're going to see a lot more of this year is just kind of consistent drives uh, where Baylor's uh, not necessarily plodding along a la Navy or Army or something like that. Um, but I think you're going to see a lot more plays where you go, oh, that play was just designed to get like six yards. And they did exactly what they wanted to do by getting the ball out in space, making one guy miss, uh, getting six yards, make two guys, two guys miss, you might have a huge play. But uh, things are going to be kind of more stable. I expect a lot less sacks, a lot less tackles for, for loss, uh, but probably fewer deep shots down the field overall. Of course, there's going to be deep shots, but all of this kind of is relative. College football offenses are so similar now that it's it's kind of almost hard to find the differences between a lot of them schematically. And so the difference kind of tends to be on the emphasis of the head of the coordinator and what exactly they're trying to do as far as almost a, a game plan perspective. Got it. So you, you mentioned the ability. You mentioned a couple things that I, I want to key back on. The, the main one to me is the offensive line. Obviously, that's been a kind of a point of concern for the past three years, as you talked about Charlie getting blown up every other mm -hmm. play. Um, do, do you feel like we finally have the depth and experience for that to become um, maybe not a strength, but at least not a weakness? So I don't know if the overall depth is there at this point, uh, but to answer your question more directly, I am very, very excited about the Baylor offensive line play this year. Um, I still don't know that they have 10 dudes that they can roll out there. That's really rare anyway. Uh, but last year, their only options at tackle were hurt half the year. And they really didn't have anybody who could come in and back them up. This year, I think for the first time in, I don't know, five years, Baylor has an offensive line where if one of the tackles gets hurt, they can bring in another guy. Casey Phillips can come in there and play as a third tackle. And he might not be the best player yet, but as a third option, that's really good. Uh, and then they also have a couple of interior options uh, if any of their guards go down. And so I think Baylor, for the first time in, in four or five, six years, has probably seven or eight guys that they can reliably run out there and say, okay, this guy's not going to be a liability for us. There are a few players on the offensive line that could, that could be all-conference types. I mean, if Khalil Keith uh, can play consistently, I mean, that dude... I noticed him from the stands last year, and it's really hard to, to notice an offensive lineman from the stands. Uh, when he's on, uh, he's really great. Obviously, the grad transfer, Jake Burton, is kind of just as steady as he can be at this point. He's pretty athletic. 
he's not an amazing run blocker, but he's really sound in pass protection. And that's kind of how Connor Galvin is too. He's not an amazing run blocker, but sound in pass, pass protection. Um, and so I think it kind of comes down to how well does Xavier Newman do at center? You know, he was a guard last year. And I know they're pretty high on him at center. And then, uh, and then it looks like they're moving Blake Bedier, who was last year's right tackle to right guard. He should immediately be a pretty good pass protector at right guard, but it kind of remains to be seen how he does his run blocker. So I think there are kind of some questions of, you know, how good can the offensive line can be? But I would say the vast majority of kind of probabilities this year have Baylor maybe having an average to at least above average offensive line for the first time. And I mean, the offensive line has been so bad. You really can't sugarcoat it. Last year, they finally kind of tread water, sort of, at some points when they were fully healthy. But for the years before that, uh, and then my final point on that is that I think you're finally going to see Lovett and Ebner kind of explode this year as we realize that how good of running backs they are, and they've been playing behind such bad offensive line play uh, lately, that I think you can really kind of see the ultimate potential of the offense with some really good offensive line play this year. That's great to hear, because I, I, <clears throat> there's been a lot of talk about how this is the best offensive line that we've had, and I'm like, well, last year we led, we led in sacks allowed, so like, <laughs> yeah best what does that mean relatively um the second question i had about the offensive line is that when we moved again from the browse era to the Mm -hmm. rule era there was a lot of discussion about how going from the way randy clements and browse wanted the offensive line to play to the way matt rule and george de leon wanted to play was a huge Mm -hmm. change um because it was less about just being a just mauler who would come through a hole and blow somebody up and more about like technical really solid offensive line right. play. What is moving from that to Joe Wickline look like? So I th- Joe Wickline, I would say, is much closer to what the rules staff was doing than what the Browse staff was doing. What the Browse staff was doing was really interesting and really niche. Uh, what, they wanted huge guys, but it wasn't even necessarily because they wanted big, powerful guys. I mean, they did want powerful guys, but that wasn't even necessarily the primary thing. What they really wanted was somebody huge, and they would put all these huge guys in really tight splits. And they would say, if we literally put a big enough wall right here, in contrast to our receivers being really far outside, then we can kind of create the ultimate contrast to where when we want to run a quick deep route, they're so big and they're so close together that you just you don't have enough time to get through them. Uh, and what the rule staff did was kind of much more standard college offensive stuff. They you know, they want powerful guys, but they want guys with some lateral quickness because they want to be able to run lots of different kinds of schemes. Uh, Browse schemes were pretty much all power schemes uh, mixed in with some, you know, standard inside zone and stuff like that. Uh, but the Fedora offense, I mean, if you look at the, all the kinds of run schemes that he uses, I mean, he's using, I mean, you, it's the kitchen sink. So um, <laughs> essentially, the, it's not a very exciting answer, um, but Fedora and Wickline, they kind of want what everyone else wants in the college game right now. They want guys who are quick, strong, uh, not aren't going to just fall on their face when they move, et cetera, et cetera. But to more specifically answer your question, it's not, it's not as big of a, um, a change as we saw from the previous coaching staff change. Well, that, that I would guess would be a good thing yeah. then because they've been working towards that direction. Um, Last question about the offensive line. This is a little bit more about the entire offense, but I heard Fedora talk about how he likes having an offense where, quote, we don't have to block, essentially was what he was saying. Now, I understand the idea of quick passes and, like, getting the ball out quickly, but what what does that look like from a broader perspective? So I didn't, I didn't, I'm not familiar with the quote you're talking about, but so what you're saying is that he was, he was saying that in reference to kind of the quick passing game is what you're saying. Yeah, he was he was at a coaching clinic. It was it was a ways back. It was just like somebody pulled uh, this up and was like tweeting yeah. about it. And I said, "Oh, that's interesting." And also seems like a good thing for our, for our yeah. offense. I think that's kind of exemplary of what I was talking about earlier with his emphasis on the quick passing game. Um, if you look at a lot of his plays, a lot of them are package plays, which I kind of referred to earlier. Which means uh, you know people talk a lot about RPOs, run pass options in today's game. Uh, and there are a lot of times where you're just making reads before the play where the offensive line is still blocking. But on a lot of his stuff, it's, it's, I've almost compared it to more Bryles esque in the sense that um, his deep shots are more called, I would say in this, uh, sorry, I'm trying to kind of struggle to struggle to explain this clearly, but in the sense that a lot of his stuff tends to either kind of be at or near the line of scrimmage, short passing game or deep shots. 
of course, and I'll say this probably seven more times before uh, we finish this, it's all relative, right? So he's still throwing over the middle. He's still doing stuff over the middle. Uh, but I think compared to the rule offense, rule wasn't really throwing a lot of stuff at or near the line of scrimmage. It kind of tended to be these NFL concepts, these levels concepts, or these you know deep concepts uh, that required a lot of time to develop. Fedora, it's like, Again, I'm just kind of just pulling a number out of my head here, but, you know, maybe 50% of his throws are within two seconds. And, you know, it, you don't have to block if you're throwing the ball within two seconds. So I think that's kind of a lot of what he was saying. The idyllic way is he wants to throw it out to Gavin Holmes in the slot, him make a guy miss, and go get a first down. And if he can do that every time, then you don't have to worry about sitting there back in the pocket for three or four seconds to wait for a guy to get open to throw the first down. That makes sense. Uh, but, again, like I said, it's all relative. Uh, he's still going to be taking the deep shots. He's still going to be throwing over the middle. But I think you're going to see a lot more at or near the line of scrimmage throwing than you've seen in, uh, from Rule in the past. That seems like something that would fit Charlie Brewer's abilities looking back to what he did at, um, in high yeah. school. Um, would that oh, be yeah, correct? Totally. I mean, Brewer broke the – I think it was, it was either in the national or the Texas state record for completion percentage. I haven't gone back and looked at Lake Travis's offense specifically to know whether um, the scheme is similar. Uh, but just from knowing Charlie's strengths, uh, he's super accurate. He's really good on the move. He's really good rolling out. Um, he just doesn't have the strongest arm. He never will have the strongest arm. And that's why it hurt so bad when he got hurt last year. And you clearly saw that he doesn't really have any room to have diminished arm strength. And so, yeah, he has a pretty, a decently quick release, and he's really accurate. So those things work really well for if you're just trying to get the ball out within a few seconds. Are there any, you mentioned package plays as being something that Fedora does mm-hmm. a lot. Are there any other like tropes of this offense that we should be aware of? So I, I think about like just certain things that you know that you're going to get from certain coordinators. Chip Kelly loves the mesh concept, mm-hmm. for example, mm-hmm. and will run it 30 times in a game, it yeah. seems. I think the trope from Fedora is, and I think there's potential to see it in this Houston game, is that if Larry Fedora could run power every play, and power is kind of a catch-all term for any run play where you're leading with an offensive lineman, you know, you see a guy kick out of his stance and pull across the line of scrimmage and then, and then go waylay uh, a, a defensive lineman or a linebacker that's just kind of sitting there. If he could run power on every play, he would do it. Uh, he loves power, um, and you see that in the games they get up and when teams can't stop it, he'll run all sorts of different ways. To, uh, you know, he'll run power a million different ways. It's not going to be the same way every time. But I think that's kind of uh, his calling card, I guess you could say. Uh, he's not going to just keep hammering his head against the door if it's not working. But I think you can kind of see what coaches like to do. Is, uh, you can kind of see what they like to do by what they do when they're up, I guess you could say, uh, or when things are really clicking. And uh, it's kind of the same way as the, as the Browse offense is. You know, if you couldn't stop their base tackle uh, dart pulling play, they're just – run it every play and until you tackle for shock Linwood for less than 10 yards, they're going to keep running it. And so I think, um, I think you're going to see something similar from, from Fedora with Lovett and Ebner this year to where uh, they're going to look to, you know, establish the run has a kind of a lot of connotations. Uh, I don't really think it means what most people think it means, but in the sense of, you know, if Lovett can get eight yards a clip, Fedora's going to keep running that and running that and running that and running that. Cool. That's awesome. Um, last question offensively before we jump over and talk really quick about Houston. Mm-hmm. Who who are you looking for to br- looking forward to seeing on the offense who kind of hasn't necessarily broken out? I mean, I think we know Tyquan Thornton. We know Charlie. Mm-hmm. We kind of know what we're going to get from Levin and Ebner in mm-hmm. a lot of ways. Who are you looking to as kind of a breakout player on offense this so year? So I'll kind of cheat and say a player you've already said. I know you kind of listed those. That way I wouldn't say them. But – I don't think uh, I don't think most Baylor fans really realize what we're going to get from Justin Ebner this year if he's healthy. I think most people just when they think of like running backs catching the ball out of the backfield, they think of kind of like the the check down passes. I think you're going to see Ebner have a sort of almost um, not Dylan McCaffrey. Oh my gosh, uh, Christian McCaffrey uh, type season this year where he could probably have. I would actually, if I had to bet, I would bet on him having more receiving yards than rushing yards this year. I think he could have some sort of season where it's hard to translate the stats because there's no non-conference games, but whatever the equivalent in a shortened season of, you know, like 600 yards receiving and like 400 yards rushing or something like that. And I think you're going to see a lot of him split out and just running routes against linebackers. 
I think you're going to see a lot of really interesting stuff with him and Levitt both on the field at the same time. And so I know people are expecting big things out of him. I just don't know that they're ready for how versatile and how uh, differently the staff is going to get him the ball. And if he stays healthy, I don't know if people realize how he's the first team all big 12 type player, especially because they have like seven running backs on the first team big 12 ballot. But you know, Either way, he's one of the better players in the Big 12 if they utilize him correctly and he stays healthy. So you really expect to see a lot of plays that are really built for get, just getting him the ball in space and not necessarily just those check, yeah, check down exactly. kind of Yeah, And so, uh, yeah, so I think you're going to see a lot of what LSU was doing in 2019, which was they would put Clyde, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire out there. Their main object was to get their wide receivers isolated, but if you put – Clyde Edwards-Hilaire way out on the other side of the field and you ran out some 240-pound linebacker on him or some safety who can't flip his hips, LSU would just throw in the ball and say, get seven yards. You're going to do it every time because this linebacker cannot tackle you within a few seconds. I mean, it's just not possible. And I think you're going to see a lot of similar things with Baylor and Tristan Edmer this year. Going to be very, very creative, but at the same time, I think they're just going to kind of trot him out there line him as a motion him out as a wide receiver. And if teams don't line up against him correctly, just give him the ball. He will make somebody miss. He will get you five to 10 yards every time. If you just kind of put one linebacker out there on him. For sure. That's awesome. Um, and honestly talking about LSU just reminded me that I didn't ask a single thing about LSU. And obviously we hired Jorge Munoz for a mm-hmm. reason. Um, what do you expect to see his influence on the offense? Um, do you see it as being significant? Yeah, so and I'm sorry, kind of what do you see bringing over from there? Yeah, so I think it'll be pretty significant. Aranda had a quote um, from his press conference the other day or some sort of interview or press conference. I can't remember which, but anyway, and he said that Munoz's main influence on Fedora has been LSU's empty formations, which refers to when there's no running backs in the backfield, so essentially a five wide receiver formation, and the stacked wide receiver formations. Which is really interesting because when people think of modern college football offenses, they generally think of kind of things being really spread out. But one of the things that LSU did really well is they would play out of empty where there was, um, well, they didn't all, it didn't have to be empty. So you can have four wide receivers on the field, but they might have everybody kind of bunched up together right by the line of scrimmage. And the reason why that can be so productive is if you had a quarterback like Joe Burrow, who essentially is going to give you an accurate, on-time, correct decision throw 97% of the time, from a stacked wide receiver formation, uh, which is when guys are kind of staggered, and so you can't, you can't press every single one of those guys. It's hard to kind of play man coverage against a formation like that because they're all so close together. Um, so if you have a really great quarterback that can deliver the ball accurately, then you can almost kind of guarantee yourself at least five yards because it's just it's really hard to cover those formations. And so I think you're going to see some more of those stacked formations, and I think you're going to see a lot of that empty in particular because, as I was just talking about, Baylor has some really good running backs, and they have Ebner, who's essentially a wide receiver. Um, and so they're going to want to get him the ball in space. And so I think that's going to be his main influence on the offense this year. That's awesome. Yeah, that's great news. Um, obviously, everybody wants a little bit of what LSU right. had. That's why almost their entire staff right. changed. Um, so talking a little bit about Houston, um, to move to the actual matchup this week, uh, I know that Derek King is obviously not mm-hmm. there. Dana Holgerson had some good had some moments last year where the team looked good, but um, wasn't necessarily uh, as good as they wanted to be. What do you expect to see from Houston on Saturday? And kind of how do you see the defense or defense matching up with their offense? Baylor's defense. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, so first of all, about what I expect to see, the only thing I really expect is that it's not going to look like 2019 Houston. Uh, their stats are ridiculous. They redshirted like 35 guys. Uh, they took another like six or seven full sit out transfers. Um, and so that's like 40 guys who weren't playing for the majority of 2019, which is just really weird when you're trying to review them from last year. And they weren't very good last year. Um, and they redshirted, as we know, I mean, they redshirted Derek King, who ended up leaving. They redshirted their offensive tackle, who ended up leaving as well. Uh, but they redshirted some other play, uh, other players, like wide receiver Keith Corbin. I mean, I was watching his, uh, his tape today while writing the preview for our Daily Bears, and that dude is about as good of a solo 
kind of X style, and X style essentially just the X wide receiver is the wide receiver who lines up closest to the formation, generally to the boundary. So they're the guy that's most immediately close to the quarterback, which is what Denzel Mims did for the majority of last year. I mean, he's about as good as it gets in the Big 12. I mean, and there are some good wide receivers in the Big 12, but Keith Corbin is that good. Um, and they've got some other guys, Marquez Stevenson, a wide receiver who's really good. Their quarterback is kind of up and down. He's really talented. He has a decent arm. He's pretty mobile, uh, but he's also prone to making some mistakes. And so um, I think there's just kind of a lot of variability with them, and specifically with Baylor's defense against their offense. What I really want to see, I mean, from what I've, the limited time I've had to, to watch and stuff, I want to see Baylor come out in some pretty conservative and safe coverages uh, because Houston's offensive line was not good last year. They bring back some guys this year, so they have the experience under their belt, and so you never know whether that's, you know, teams just take leaps. We've seen that with, you know, Baylor's 2018 to 2019 defense. Uh, they can just get better. But um, I want to see, can Baylor's just front four, essentially, with the linebackers just do enough to stop the run to where they can play really conservative coverage over you, Houston's wide receivers. Because I think Houston wide, Houston's wide receiver group is would probably be third, fourth best in the Big 12 if I were having to rank them all. Uh, they're really good. And the quarterback can get the ball out to him. Um, so I want to kind of just see Baylor come out, keep everything in front of them at the beginning, and then determine, okay, do we need to send more help here or more help there? But don't get burned by the bomb on the first play. Don't give up seven just because you came out on a blitz on the first play, if that makes sense. Got it. And so speaking on the other side of the ball, kind of what do you expect to see this Saturday from Baylor's offense versus Houston's defense? I was looking at Bill Connolly's previews of Houston. Yeah. He was kind of saying that they were really good at getting, they were really good at tackles for loss, and that was kind of right. about it. So their uh, defense, so what their defense was atrocious last year. It was really bad. Uh, but even more so than their offense, I mean, the personnel essentially is almost totally different. I mean, I shouldn't say totally, but I think probably, I don't know, probably half the defense is new from last year as far as guys that were redshirting or guys that were tra uh, that had transferred in and needed to sit out a year. And they're moving guys' positions where they're in better, more advantageous areas. Their secondary is awesome. I mean, once again, I said their wide receivers uh, are probably third, fourth, fifth best in the Big 12, which is saying a lot. Big 12 always has really good wide receivers. Their secondary is probably third, fourth, fifth best in the Big 12. I mean, it's good. Uh, some of them are a little bit untested. Um, they're bringing in a new corner who was like the Sun Belt freshman of the year at Troy. And I'll post a GIF in, in, in my uh, article that I'm um, releasing on Thursday. But, I mean, he, he made some plays that are just ridiculous. His name's Marcus Jones. Their other corner's a senior who's just kind of steady as she goes, good athlete. He's not going to get burned by anybody, really. Uh, their safeties, they have a former five-star, Deontay Anderson, at one of their safety spots. I do think their weakest spot is uh, their field safety position, so kind of the same position that JT Woods plays for Baylor. It's played by a guy, I think it's, his name is Gervarius Jones, I believe. Um, he's... Uh, he's not even really a weak link, but I guess the rest of their secondary is really good. And so uh, he's a guy that I want to see Baylor kind of attack, maybe with Gavin Holmes in the slot, Josh Fleeks in the slot, see if he's a guy that uh, they can do some damage against in the open field. Because I think their corners are really good. I mean, Tyquan Thornton's really good, our Disney's really good, so it's not that we're not going to throw to the ball to the wide receivers. Um, but it's something you have to keep in mind, that it won't be as free as maybe some other teams that Baylor has on their schedule. But ultimately, as I was kind of talking about earlier, uh, it's kind of the same story uh, for the offensive line as it is for their defensive line. That's kind of how it tends to be for group of five teams, right? They're really good ones. They tend to have good skill athletes. They tend to have good secondaries. They're fast. They've recruited a lot of really fast guys. Uh, but it's really hard to find the big war daddies up front. And their defensive line is just kind of okay. Uh, they have some seniors um, that are coming that are hopefully, you know, going to be at their best their senior year. I don't think they're going to be terrible, but... That's a position where I want to see, okay, is Baylor's offensive line really improved? Because if so, I think Lovett should have a huge day. Edmund should have a huge day. Um, and uh, I wouldn't expect necessarily a hugest, uh, the biggest day from Baylor's outside wide receivers. I think it's going to be kind of more of an up-the-middle type game. Got it. So uh, last question here, and then I'll let you go. Um, and understanding if you want to hold this for your own preview on Thursday. What do, you, what do you have on Saturday? So I think this is a game that's probably going to be in the 30s. I think that Houston's wide receivers and quarterback are pretty good. I think we're going to see some 
typical first game, missed tackles, maybe some coverage bust. You just never know. But all with all those caveats, uh, caveats again, it's really hard to predict. I can kind of foresee any results within either team winning by two or three touchdowns. I mean, I know that sounds kind of crazy to think of Houston winning by two or three touchdowns at Baylor, but it's weird. It's week one. But I, if you by uh, for most probable result here, I'm going to go Baylor 38, Houston 31. I think it's going to be kind of a weird back and forth game. Might be a few runs where each team scores 14 at a time. But ultimately, I think the game's controlled by Lovett, uh, controlled by Charlie not turning the ball over. And I'm guessing that uh, Houston's quarterback, who's been really turnover prone so far, makes a crucial mistake or two, and that's going to be the difference in the game. Got it. Well, you heard it here first. Travis Roeder picking the Bears to win 38-31. to 31. <laughs> Travis, do you have anything you want to plug before we go? No, y'all can just uh, follow me on Twitter if you want. I generally kind of just ramble about random college football and Baylor stuff. I'm at Travis underscore Roeder on Twitter. Uh, I write for our Daily Bears. I usually do one or two pieces a week. And um, I'm always just down to just talk random football stuff. So if you wanted to say, what does this play? What does this scheme mean? I might not know, but I'll try and figure it out. We can talk through it together. I'm always down to just talk football. Awesome. Thanks, Travis. Thanks, Michael. That was Travis Roeder on the Please Bear With Me podcast. Thank you to Travis for coming on and talking some X's and O's and previewing Houston for Saturday. You can follow him, as he was saying, at Travis underscore Roeder. That's R-O-E-D-E-R. Thank you to Bears Illustrated for publishing Please Bear With Me. Thank you to Scotty Swingler for letting me take over his podcast this week. Look forward to seeing the Bears beat up on the Cougs on Saturday. Sick and Bears.